note to our listeners before we get started. This episode contains references and discussion about sexual assault and abuse. If you are a survivor of sexual abuse or know someone who is, we'll share a link with some helpful resources at the end. Spending most of your adult life making a film and then launching it out to millions of eyeballs to see, yeah, there's going to be a lot of conflicting emotions. There's pride, there's fear, there's vindication, and a whole lot of anxiety. There's a whole lot of feelings swirling around in this soup. Now, when that film is about you and your family, it's a whole other ballgame. I felt a profound loneliness through this process. The vulnerability that was required of me, the weight of personal responsibility, and the wildly high stakes were indescribably heavy on my shoulders. All of that on top of normal directing and producing stress. There just aren't very many people that have found themselves in that boat. One of the most helpful and healthy things that I could do was connect with others who did take this road before me. Other filmmakers who put themselves in front of the lens, exposing themselves to the world. One of those people in particular became a lifelong friend, Sasha Joseph Nullinger. In 2012, Sasha was 23 and just finishing a film degree at Montana State University. I got an opportunity to work with Grizzly Creek Films on some Nat Geo TV, mm-hmm. and I was loving it. Sasha was excited about his future, but he knew he wasn't quite done with his past. I wasn't there yet. In fact, like I still had a self-deprecating voice that mm. had been loud throughout my life. Sasha is a survivor of multi-generational child sexual abuse, all within his family. He knew that there was still unanswered questions from his past that were keeping him from moving forward with his life. So when Sasha became a professional storyteller, his family's story was becoming impossible to ignore. I know that this self-deprecating voice is attached to that childhood trauma. What questions do I still have? So the 23-year-old newly minted film grad decided to process his family history by making a documentary over the next seven years, utilizing over 200 hours of home video as a launching point. The end result? A film called Rewind. It premiered at Tribeca in 2019 to rave reviews and was hailed by critics as one of the best documentaries of the year. I was so lucky to have Sasha as a friend and a mentor through my entire process. So now that I'm winding down, I want to talk to him about what it's like to let your film baby go. What do I do next? And the odd experiences that come with putting yourself on screen. I'm Amanda Mustard, and this is Trauma Town. Sasha, the first time that I heard about you was 2014 through your film's Kickstarter campaign. Uh, It was around the same time that I was starting to chew on my own family stuff, and I slid into those DMs knowing that we had a lot that we could probably talk about. Now we've been talking for almost a decade, and now we're going to talk a little more. Do you remember those first calls? (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I remember all of the conversations, and like most of the conversations we had Like I had just overcome those hurdles, like maybe, you know, a year before or even six months before. So like the process of 
directing and being a subject in something that is that deeply personal and connected to trauma Mm -hmm. is like such a unique experience that up until we started talking, I didn't know another human being on the planet who I could connect with on that level. Yeah, it can feel so lonely, you know, even when you're surrounded by people like your team that are helping you, being the one to carry the emotional burden. Yeah, it didn't matter if I was in a room of 20 people, like it would still be like, no one understands exactly what this feels like, but you do. Yep. We're also both first time filmmakers. So like not knowing what that commitment meant and how long it could take and how hard it is to raise money in the doc world and how until you have scenes, but even more than that, like an assembly, the big people who can really make a difference in getting you to the finish line are like, yeah, well, yeah, you and everybody else. Like (laughs) it's trying to make a doc. Yeah. The number of times that I heard, oh my gosh, you're so brave. Oh my gosh, like what an incredible story. Let us know when you have a rough cut. Yeah, right. And it was like, oh my God, this fucking rough cut. Like, (laughs) I can't even afford to edit like a four minute reel. Like you need money to make these things. And you can't pay with compliments. Like, yes, it's nice, it's very kind, but when you're me and you hear that for the 200th time, followed by another funding rejection, you just start to lose your mind. Well, and that was the hardest part for me, like more than rewatching my entire childhood, watching myself before abuse, watching myself while I held the secret, watching myself after abuse, watching my abusers. The hardest part of making the film for me was once I got to the point where I knew the story was in the can, I knew what I wanted to say and had experienced the personal growth and catharsis needed for me through the choice to make this film. Then being like, oh, but we're still gonna be like four years out because we need to go market that to Mm. people who will say, oh, Sasha, oh, Amanda, you're just, you're so brave. And oh, gosh, it's harrowing. It's, it's, oh my goodness, Mm -hmm. oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But also like, I can't do anything for you until I see something. And so two things, one is you realize like, Yes, no matter how personal this is, it's still a business. And that's true, it is. But also, what I experienced as we were marketing, until we had more to show, was that people Mm -hmm. wanted to acknowledge the courage and the bravery, but in the way they did it, it was almost like they were protecting their own emotional space from actually having an authentic connection with me. It's like it was a blanket empathy. Yeah, I know how this feels. I mean, we're carrying around a real weapon just with the honesty and authenticity of our experiences that can make people really uncomfortable. And I recognize that. But um, I don't know. I'll be honest. I got really salty over the years. You oh, know, yeah. Having to do public pitches, private calls, just endless hundreds of times. You're just talking about your family's trauma and selling it and it just felt horrible i would say for me that was the very hardest part of this entire process Mm -hmm. but i always wanted to work with people and my little spidey senses went off when people were like oh my god well how are you going to tell the story like asking like real craft related questions that ultimately like that's why we're doing it that's exactly it people 
can't imagine that someone who's experienced that much trauma could be functional enough to craft a deeply thought out, well-structured narrative that's compelling despite the discomfort surrounding the topic. There's a projection that happens too, because I think for people who don't understand this level of trauma, they have to assume that that just shatters a person beyond any hope of future functionality. And that stigma is so fucked up, it's so dangerous, and it perpetuates the challenge for survivors to share their stories in a way that they can actually make the difference. Yeah, the projection is such an issue. I remember there was a funding group that I really wanted the support of. And I remember I was talking to the person in charge of the money. And yeah, she was kind of doing the voice. And she's like, oh, I just know how hard this is for you. And that like, you're just so fragile. Oh, and that oh, oh boy. Oh. And I gotta I gotta say, like, no, actually, I'm so fucking strong. Because if you were holding what I've been holding. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you would do yeah. it. I can't know because you're a different person. So don't claim to know for me. I love that people are interested. I love that people connect with, you know, our stories. I just want people when they approach us to not assume that we're broken or fragile. Yep. There are so many steps beyond initial traumatized human beings. I can't sit here and tell you that like, oh, I'm a healed human and my trauma doesn't impact me anymore. No, like trauma is irreversible. How it shapes us is our choice. I can't change what happened to me. And I don't think that it's about eliminating triggers. I think it's about recognizing triggers and then learning how to respond to those triggers from a place of self-awareness and empowerment in a way that reminds you that, yes, even though this thing happened and it is going to be with me, I can respond to it uh, in such a way that it doesn't completely derail the trajectory of my life and what I want to do with that life. Yes. I've talked before about like the word healing and that I, I hate how it's kind of been like goopified. <laughs> and for me, I wish there was like better language around it. Like it's like integrating. It's finding a way to integrate the things that have happened to you into something meaningful. Like that's why we made these films is, you know, I'm sure that both of us would have confronted these things on our own time, even if we weren't making a film, but something in our guts told us this is wild and, and potentially meaningful and who knows what's going to happen. But by sharing this journey with others, like maybe something can be learned. Yeah. For me, Rewind was like when I got tired and felt like I couldn't, the film mm -hmm. knocks on the door and is like, hey, you said you were going to engage with me and you said you were going to do this. Are you going to do it? When you were making your film, like, did you ever feel that? Yes, I definitely felt like making a project. It did. It kind of like pulled me through and gave me some kind of structure to navigate this. Because how do you confront your family secrets? <laughs> how do you face generational trauma? 
I don't know, like people do things different ways. And for me, like I knew how to use cameras. I knew how to tell stories and it was like, and I knew how to ask questions. So it's like, I'm just going to keep asking questions and see where it goes. So I'm really grateful for the film for being that vessel to pull me through it. Even when I did not feel that positive about it all. Um, but, you know, I, I am really proud of myself and massively relieved to be done with it. You know, you know. Well, there's the parallel, though, of like engaging on the personal level of asking the questions and getting a better context of your own story while simultaneously physically taking raw footage and bringing it into a narrative structured context that is actually like compelling and tells that story. It's like, mm -hmm. it is so cool to hold such a significant part of my life on a flash drive in my hands and say like, mm. this is my understanding of this very significant chapter in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've done the work to make that entire story fit on this flash drive, both from a personal standpoint and a filmic standpoint. And now I'm going to just put this thing into a drawer and see what's out there in the world beyond this film. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about the, the what's next. And it'll be interesting what the process is like when the film's out, having to kind of like go back to that space, you know, because people are meeting you on that flash drive, even when you've moved so far past it. So that's definitely something that I am figuring out. Do you have advice for me? Yeah, like we've talked about this before, but it is a unique thing, right? Because that the irony is like the person that leads your film, the person that leads my film, us, mm -hmm. we're the subjects, is already a dated version of ourselves. So by the time yeah. you bring that to the world, it's a three-year-old version or however old. And like, it can be triggering when you are feeling really good and strong and empowered and someone still wants to see you as a quote unquote fragile victim. Ugh, it's so frustrating. I think that's something that I'm getting better at kind of catching in those moments. As most things in life, which I'm working really hard to try and internalize, is people's behavior and comments are a reflection more of them than you. Totally. And that, I feel like if you just like lean back on that over and over, that's, I think, the best anyone can do in response because like it is just a film. And once it's a film and it's shared, it's not just ours anymore. It's so funny because so much of my intention with how I made Great Photo Lovely Life was I want people to project. I want you to see how complicated this is. And I want you to have to kind of work to figure out how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. Like at no point do we tell you really how to feel. And it's so funny that that is so much of the motivation behind it. But then when it comes to people projecting on me personally, I'm like, please don't do that. <laughs> right. Well, but that's the tricky component of this is like yeah. that being able to separate character in film, Amanda from real human being Amanda and inevitably by being subjects in our own films, we are objectifying ourselves. Yeah, I mean, through the edit, I had to call myself Amanda. I was just like, all right, she needs to do this. She needs to do that. It's such a weird process. So pivoting to a super fun language moment, you use the word survivor, and you're not wrong. I just tend to use the word victim. 
not because I think they mean the same thing, but um, yeah, like how do you feel about those two words using survivor versus victim? Yeah, no, I think that the moment the abuse occurs, you are a victim of abuse. And from each moment moving forward, you are surviving because you didn't die. So when we call someone a victim, it's really easy to then perpetuate a victim mindset of, I can't change this thing, it happened, and I'm a victim. But even honestly, the moment after abuse occurred, from that moment forward, we're survivors. That's my opinion on it. And it's only in embracing that that people might have an opportunity to get to a point where they say, okay, I've been surviving long enough. How do I actually fully recapture self-love and self-empowerment in a way that allows me to live my life in the way that I truly want to live it. That empowerment, I don't think is possible from a victim mindset. And that's not to victim shame. I lived in a victim mindset for a long time. That's a genuine part of figuring out survival is how to, how to escape that. It's a state, for sure. That was all very, very beautifully said. I have always felt that using victim was a preference for me when it came to my grandfather because he got away with it. It's like a my like journalist brain. Mm -hmm. Well, like survivor serves a different purpose to me, but I think I always did kind of say like the victims of my grandfather because to me, that says like he was not charged for this, like there was no justice. Mm -hmm. It describes that aspect of it in a way that I feel is more. That's just like what's more important to me and how mm -hmm. I think about these things mm -hmm. rather than their personal journeys. And that just shows how language is also subjective, like what you get from victim is totally different from what I get from victim. Yeah, it's very, very different interpretation. And that's really cool. Like for everything you just said, it gives it a valid anchor point of like. Injustice has occurred. <laughs> injustice has occurred. And it's almost like I have a concern about the word victim because I worry that it'll keep somebody trapped. But mm -hmm. it's only because I know how powerful it is. I really appreciate you sharing that gives me a better idea of like why I'm so reactive to the word victim, but also like how recognizing the weight in that way can be validating and helpful. It's an incredibly personal yeah. decision. I'm always just really curious because if you ask that question to people, it just says so much about where they're coming from. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it, wow. it's the same as the word healing. Like what does healing mean to you or what does forgiveness mean to you? Like a lot of, there are limits in our language. And that makes it tricky to get people on the same page. And, you know, survivor, victim, whatever word you want to choose for yourself, we're splitting hairs here. It's a much bigger picture. Well, and I think that if, like, my biggest question for people always when, when I'm speaking is like, when you're alone with yourself, how do you feel? Are you comfortable with yourself? Are there things that are uncomfortable that you don't want to look at? Are there things that are uncomfortable that you want to look at, but you're afraid to, or are you giggling and happy? And most of the time when children are abused, when human beings are abused, 
it's much easier to find fault in themselves. Like I must have done something to deserve this. I must not have been careful enough. I must not have done what I needed to do. And from that point forward, there can be a huge gap in self respect and self love, because if the blame is on oneself for the most traumatic experience one has ever had, then you are the enemy of your peace. (laughs) And so Mm. no matter what language a person uses, or no matter what happiness looks like, it's just the generalized question of like, are you okay with yourself? Yes, yes, that is what really matters. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's something buried down hiding, but I do not have any concrete memories of abuse by my grandfather. But a huge challenge for me was recognizing that I had been sexually assaulted, raped, when I was in my early 20s by someone I really trusted. And I just had a lack of language when it happened. So I blamed myself a long time for it. Just the circumstances and then just learning about the patriarchy, learning about rape culture, all of these things that I did not learn being raised in like a super evangelical purity culture driven (laughs) environment. Yeah, it started to help me understand what had happened to me and... And then I was, I did, I felt the injustice really strongly about it, where it was just like, well, I couldn't have reported it. I couldn't, like, there were all of these factors that I just know what that would have looked like. And it wasn't, I just wasn't going to subject myself to it. So calling myself a victim made sense, but it also, like, I am really happy with myself. I like myself. And I feel like I can use that word because it, I feel like it doesn't define me. It's just like a, almost like a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And I just hope that everybody listening thinks about it and figures out what language works best for them because that's all that matters. That's it. You know, it's whatever helps you communicate how you're feeling about your experiences to others. 100%. So I had a couple spicy breakdowns mentally, emotionally, and physically when I was making the doc. Humans just are not built for this level of pressure. And this happened even though I, a mental health advocate for from my journalism days, had been using every damn tool that I had. How did you get through it? And what tools were most helpful to you mentally and emotionally? For me, it was the things that had nothing to do with film. Hockey is a huge release for me. And... um I became literally the most intense hockey player I knew in the Bo- <laughs> in the Bozeman Hockey Association because I like I would scream so loud when I scored goals would be like dude what the fuck's wrong with you like this is beer league hockey I'm like sorry man this is a release I'm coping <laughs> it was amazing but I was like I was playing at another level because it was an outlet it was an outlet for aggression it was exercise yeah. so for me hockey backcountry experiences encounters with bears hunting chopping wood, cooking, you know, like for me, Mm -hmm. just having these things that required physical presence, emotional presence, emotional weight, and also creativity that would Mm. lead to a tangible physical outcome. For me, having an eclectic mix of those outlets was super helpful. That's like the biggest thing. Like you've got to know what works for you. And I mean, I had this very silly little exercise Once in like a trauma retreat or something. Mm -hmm. And it was like making a self-care menu. 
and it was so corny but it was actually like helpful to sit down if it's not something you think about a lot and it's like okay what are the things that calm my nervous system what are the things that make me feel at peace that Mm -hmm. kind of turn my brain off and taking an hour to just recognize what those things are and know because when shit hits the fan you got to just kind of know that about yourself and yeah, mine, I took roller skating lessons because nice. I thought starting something new was good until I broke my arm. And then that was like <laughs> an added stress that really contributed to a breakdown. But um, therapy, of course, it feels like it just goes without saying. I've had like a army of different therapists for different chapters of this and medication, which came too late for me, but I think would have definitely helped a lot more in the process. And yeah, meditation, like just knowing when to step away and take breaks. Did you feel like those breaks helped you regain perspective of like the broader scope of your life? Yeah, usually I would have to travel because I'm a traveling lady. I have lived out of the country for 10 years and I'm used to being a traveling photographer and I'm constantly just like craving exposure to new things and new cultures and getting outside of my comfort zone. So I did a few times through the edit process have trips outside of my living room in Pennsylvania that were essential to just reminding myself that like this feels like everything right now, but it's not. I just needed I needed that that was really critical yeah that's the thing is tracking all the way back to the beginning of this conversation like we were both young enough naive enough and inexperienced enough to not recognize what we were signing up for yeah yeah i don't regret it i don't regret it it's been extremely like i have grown so much it has absolutely changed and shifted the trajectory of my life yeah no regrets but holy hells just like it's a crazy ride But, uh, you know, happy to be on it with you. Yeah, it's been so awesome to have this friendship, you know, as we've been making our films. And one of the challenges for me has been like, I want to make another film, but what film can be more meaningful than the first one I made? And so figuring out the answer to that and allowing breath for that has been important for me. Like, I've taken such a break and i'm very excited now to like come back into it having recharged and what i'm excited about too and i'm curious to hear your point of view on it is like are you excited to direct something that doesn't also pull 99.9 percent of your emotional energy yeah oh i'm so excited for that i mean i'm work i've got a couple other things in the works I'm stretching all these other creative muscles in different mediums to keep talking about this, which is really great, but I'm also developing other things outside of it. And I really just want to make films that like bring joy and allow people to feel seen in the ways that I always wanted to feel seen. I kind of feel like I just want to make stuff that I needed as far as representation goes. But yeah, I really want to just make something that brings a lot of joy and delight to people next. I mean, we've shown that we can do this, but we can do a lot of other things as well. For me, it's either going to be comedy or horror. 
I think that both of our interest in getting into comedy says so much about, I don't know, like our experiences and who we are. Yeah. Because sometimes the only thing to do is like laugh at it, is to step back and be like, what the fuck is my life? My grandfather is a serial sex abuser and pedophile. Like, what the fuck kind of cards have I got? (laughs) Well, and then, yeah, you do. I mean, I... Yeah, my buddies, some of the stuff we said and some of the things that I I have continued to say or think and laugh at, it's so subjective and so like deeply connected to the source of that trauma that like if it were to be said in a place that didn't share the same context, like people would be like, what is wrong with that person? That person is fucking nuts. I've had people like I remember I was in like a big photo workshop with this project before it was a film. And this guy who I really looked up to, one of the mentors, I was like, so what do you think of the project? And he goes, I think you're kind of fucked up (laughs) in a way that I he was just observing how I talk about it and how like casual I was because it is casual to me. And and that's like one of the things I I love about our friendship is because it's like always a safe space to let it rip. (laughs) Oh, it's fun. And it's it's so important. You got to be able to laugh and you got to be able to laugh at yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've had to do that plenty. Oh, totally. No, you're, you're awesome. I have so much respect for you and, and I'm really excited for you to finally get to premiere this film on HBO. Excited for you to do it. And I'm also excited for our next non-filmic play date, whenever that is. Mm-hmm. And thank you again for everything. You were really, really integral support for me in this. And I couldn't say thank you enough. So on that note, let's go resume our lives. Thank you for being someone I could talk to and someone who could validate what I was going through and understand what I was experiencing more than probably anyone else could. Um, So I'm glad we're We've been able to help each other and to be continued, you know? Friends forever. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Trauma Town is a production of Rock Creek Sound. The executive producers are Ari Saperstein and Ellen Weiss. Noah Camuso produced and mixed the series. Our producer is Jen Wilburn, and music was generously provided by Dan Deacon. A very special thank you goes out to my real family, my film family, to all the friends who supported me through this journey, including the guests on here, and to HBO for trusting me and giving great photo lovely life a home. Last but certainly not least, a most profound thank you to the person who helped me process and navigate all of this, my therapist, Aaron. To access resources as a survivor of sexual assault or as someone struggling with unwanted attraction, please visit greatphotolovelylife.com slash resources. All opinions in this podcast are mine and mine alone. If you want to hear more of what's rattling around in my brain, sign up for my newsletter to follow what I'm up to, like new film projects and the photo book I'll be publishing in 2024. To check out my personal photography work or to support a little queer artist like myself by buying a print, visit amandamustard.com. I'm still Amanda Mustard. Thanks so much for listening.